It's been a blast to be here this weekend, as always, amongst family, amongst friends. And I was thinking during praise and worship, without me being fully aware of this, the Lord really has been weaving a theme throughout the corporate weekend experience. I didn't plan it this way, but yesterday morning we looked at the manifested presence of God. We looked at it theologically and experientially. Last night as a leadership, we probed the whole arena of hearing God's voice. And this morning, as a congregation, we're going to look at prophetic reformation, which doesn't sound very exciting, but trust me, it's a major component of where the 21st century church is going as a movement. All the themes are woven together, and really, the sum total of all their parts reflects the heartbeat of God for the 21st century church. The church is a movement, never an institution. When we make it an institution, it degenerates into a social club, and markers along the way are the ingrown nature of church, our kind of, this is the way we do it, this is the way we will always do it. We become blinkered, and really for a season, all we have is community of a social nature with the destiny of God fading into the background, and then ultimately it all unravels. It becomes something very different. But the church is a movement, follows the leading of the Holy Spirit, century by century, decade by decade. There are some non-negotiables in our born-again experience that will look the exact same regardless of what century we were born, but the Great Commission takes on a different shape and form in every fresh move of the Holy Spirit. I firmly believe that we are at the end of the age. There are more signs screaming at us through our television screens day by day, and we identify the hallmark of Scripture playing out in all of our lives. I believe that you are a prophetic people. The very nature of this church is apostolic and prophetic in essence. A church that was conceived in the heart of a man in Anchorage, Alaska, and has been around Milwaukee for many decades. There's such a thing as a present truth church, a church that hears what the Spirit of God is saying to the body of Christ right now, a church that understands the emphasized truth from Scripture that constitutes the next phase of the fulfilling of the Great Commission on the earth. To be part of a present truth church following the ongoing leading of the Holy Spirit means our paradigms, 
are repeatedly challenged. It usually entails our lives becoming more uncomfortable because the very nature of following the leading of the Holy Spirit requires transition, which means the old keeps dying in our lives as the Lord seeks to bring us into an arena, a season of fresh birthings. The manifested presence of God is the ultimate in how God works in all of our lives. We are in process. This morning, many of us are in a season of process. A few will be in a season of crisis. God is at work in seasons of crisis. He is at work in seasons of process. Our lives and our times are firmly in God's hands. But today I want to focus on prophetic reformation. You are a prophetic church. I have been ministering prophetically into this church since 2003. I have a long relationship with Grace Christian Fellowship. And this morning, this is a message with a difference because I'm not really sharing this message with you in terms of mind and soul. I'm sharing this message with the core of who you are, the core of who you are in the hidden man of your heart. We will be looking at core definers of this prophetic reformation. And believe me when I say this, it has absolutely everything to do with you. I'm not talking about your intellectual capital. I'm not talking about the knowledge you've built up over your life experience. This message is aimed at the core of who you are. When we ponder the word core, it's easy to go to a context for that word we're very familiar with, the core of the earth. The core of the earth, as far as I'm led to believe, is about two and a half thousand miles south from where I'm standing. It's roughly two and a half thousand miles from the land mass of the earth. It's very warm. Some theologians believe that's where hell is located. I do know there's no souvenir shop in the core of the earth, and there's no Starbucks at the core of the earth. It's something that's hidden because it lies beneath everything else. In some ways, who you and I really are in the core of our being lies beneath everything above our inner man. Our inner man is that which is hidden in our lives, yet it reveals so much of a thought life, our life history. It's our hidden man of the heart that brings the presence of God to you and I, which makes us stand out 
in a crowd. This message of prophetic reformation is for the hidden man of the heart, because that's what's going on in the hidden man of the heart this morning. Your spirit man has begun the process of picking up a new prophetic frequency for the 21st century. This is an entirely new frequency from what we walked in in the 20th century. That's why we've been through so much change over the first 17 years of the first millennium, the core of our lives, the hidden man of our lives. Our spirits are the essence of all correct prophetic activity. With that statement, there's an implication that there's such a thing as incorrect prophetic activity. The soulish prophetic activity, which sometimes employs good words, but they're ultimately meaningless words because they're not of the Spirit. True prophetic activity takes place in the core of our inner man. I'm not talking necessarily about personal prophecy, although true prophecy comes from the hidden man of the heart. 1 Peter 3 verse 4 speaks frequently of the hidden man of the heart. Prophetic activity at one level is something that the Holy Spirit develops in us. But part of our developmental and maturing journey to be part of a reformation requires prophetic activity to be anchored in the correct principles. That's why the teaching like this exists not merely to confirm what's going on in the hidden man of your heart, but to bring the correct principles and understanding into a developmental process. The best phrase we can hold dear to our hearts as Christians is developmental process. It's where a Christian life stands or falls. It's where it begins or where it ends. And when we think of prophetic activity anchored in the correct principles, then we understand the nature and character of God accurately. Prophetic activity needs to be anchored in kingdom value systems. Prophetic activity needs to come from a heart with correct motives. Because the 21st century prophetic church is global in nature, but most of the time local in practice, we need to have an accurate worldview. The longer can we have a view of our churches, 
being churches that are relevant to our patch of the city, and that's it. We need to have an accurate worldview of what's taking place in the nations of the earth at this hour. We're all prophetic in nature. We've all encountered the presence of God that ushered us into the new birth. We've all learned, usually more by default than wisdom, that we have grown over the years. There's fruit in our lives that our closest Christian friends are aware of. Most of the time we are blissfully unaware of. And I'm going to ponder generally what happens when we are in a cycle of personal prophetic development. A cycle where the Lord is developing us prophetically, and I'm talking about real life Christianity that has impact, that has power, personal development in the fullness of time leads to revelationary, revelatory advance. In other words, what God's developed within us can no longer be contained. It's getting out there into our contexts. Whether it's a pulpit ministry, whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's in family or wider community, there's a revelatory advance. But always, always with that, a geographical spread. Revelation is the most powerful force in the universe because it contains the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is not a Bible verse with attitude. The word of the Lord is living and reproduces itself in the heart and mind of every believer receiving that revelation. The voice bringing the revelation may have been a life that God took 10 years to prepare so that they can release that revelation into the earth. Church history is resplendent of examples of men and women that carried a revelatory message that transformed the world. Whether it's a Billy Graham, a Benny Hinn, a Amy McPherson, an Oral Roberts. When we get to heaven, we'll meet multitudes of people that we don't know their names on earth. But they will tell you the story of how they heard revelation from the lips of a believer that they thought was a religious crank and their lives were never the same afterwards. This is how God gets the job done. This morning I want to challenge your thinking because many of you can prophesy. Let me see your hand in the air if you've ever given a prophetic word to another individual. There's hands going up all over the congregation. I want to challenge you to grow beyond your God-given prophetic gift.
In other words, change your thinking from a gift mindset to a corporate mindset of being part of a prophetic people. Generally, if all we do with a prophetic gifting is operate in and out of that, there will be a stage. The gift will stagnate. You'll just be rubbing people up the wrong way because they know that you prophesy over them every time you meet in a shopping mall or they see your name coming up on their cell phone. Here we go, Prophecy City. Yes, hello. <laughs> this is a voicemail machine. I've emigrated to New Zealand for five years. Please send your prophetic word to the delete file now. Eventually, if we live in and out of our prophetic gifting exclusively, it will die. It will go away. Listen closely to the distinction. The call of God on our lives at this hour is to grow prophetically, but not so we can exercise our prophetic gifting better. The call on our lives to grow prophetically is so we can weave together a prophetic church that brings the revelatory advance of God to the city, to the state, to the nation, on the nations of the earth, multiplied over billions of times. That is the power of the Word of God. Corporate prophetic church constitutes a sustainable prophetic model. Whereas a corporate body, we journey with God and increase in strength. We increase in capacity. The prophetic looks differently this century. It's one thing to talk about a revelatory advance, spreading geographically. It's another matter looking at the constituent parts of what the corporate church will bring to the nations of the earth. The DNA of the prophetic this century is different from what it looked like last century because last century it was often individually driven. This century it will be corporately driven. Last century, it was more of a blessing emphasis. This century, well, let's get back into the core again. Let's get into the hidden man of our hearts again and acknowledge what the Holy Spirit will be birthing within the prophetic section of our born-again spirits. In essence, the core definers of the 21st century prophetic will carry a pronounced building focus. It's all about building. The apostle and prophet are being released into the body as servant ministries to build, to build, to build the foundation of the person, Christ Jesus, into every Christian life.
not an information base about Jesus, not knowledge about Jesus and new strategies for evangelism, but literally to engage the body of Christ in Christ's formation. That's a big theme in itself. Another core diviner, another core definer. It's a prophetic, revealing the nature of God. There are the corporate utterance through the corporate expression. And that includes worship. Another definer. 21st century prophetic is based on kingdom principles. Furthermore, it's always corporate in context. Another core definer is 21st century prophetic ministry will be leadership and governmentally oriented. Not so. Not so it's just about leaders and church government, but the very nature of building means God will put in place systems and structures, and listen closely, that will be able to carry the burden of the Lord for the 21st century prophetic church. And more importantly, core definer means prophetic utterance will be strategic and long-term in nature. I've said a lot this morning. You've been fire-hosed with lots of information. Boom, boom, boom. When will he shut up so I can go home and have chicken? But to try and sum it all up, and we're going to end fairly soon, it's a result of a journey. It's a result of a process. It's a consequence where we enter into cycles of discovery. This is happening in a day-by-day life, in work, in family, in the warp and whiff of life. In the high times, the low times, the pressurized seasons. As I wrap this message up and try and put some meat on the bones, try to give you a takeaway, you're fully entitled to say, okay, I believe every word you've communicated, but what will this look like in my day-by-day life? Let's not talk ethereal any longer, oh crazy Scotsman. Let's bring it down to day-by-day experience. Let's bring it to a place where I live out my life day-by-day. You are called to be a carrier of the voice of God in the 21st century. How did God built his voice into the Apostle Paul? How did the voice of God become a permanent foundational feature in Apostle Paul's life? Principles that Paul encountered are universal and it applies to you and I. Let me see your hand if you want to be part 
of a 21st century prophetic reformation. Wow, a hungry church. This is what you will experience. If you're a Bible scholar and you want to go to town on the life of Paul, read this. Read this from Acts 9, 1, all the way through to 17. Go on your own Bible study, how the voice of God built Paul. You'll find tons and tons and tons of information there that's wholly applicable to you and I. But I feel in wrapping this message up, we need to go for the main bullet points. We need to go to the areas of Paul's life that will wholly apply to us. Cast iron guarantee. Paul entered into a process of transformation. In other words, the process of transformation was initiated from glory. In Acts 9, verses 3 and 4, we read of a light and a voice from heaven. Process of transformation in our lives can only be activated from heaven. It's not a case of cranking up our souls enough to a level of intensity where God is obliged to respond. I don't know about you, but I've discovered over the years I can't make God do anything. But when I have God's faith in my spirit, it seems he will hold nothing back from me. Let me walk across that big lake. Here I come. No, we can't make God do what we want him to do, but we know what he wants to do in our lives and we can petition accurately according to Acts 9, 3 and 4. We can call on that light from heaven, that voice from heaven, dealing with absolute certainties. Oh Lord, I'm in this season. Oh Lord, you've said this to me, that to me, historically, now in fear and trembling, initiate a process of transformation in my life by your light and by your voice. That's called relational language. Sometimes there's a preamble to core relationship. All of us who are married had a preamble communication with a spouse before we get into core relationship. Preamble language contains those kind of requests. A humility and a sensitive approach rather than an arrogant and kind of swashbuckling approach, kicking the th door of the throne room of grace wide open and saying, hey there, Jehovah, chop, chop, do your stuff in my life. Here I am. Preamble language is such a big part of going through prophetic reformation. Saul of Tarsus was confronted at Acts 9, verse 5 and 6, and wholly delivered from a religious spirit and profound ignorance. 
you and I can say, well, this was Saul of Tarsus. He had not given his heart to Jesus like me. He hadn't prayed the sinner's prayer like me. So this has no relevance in my life. Generally, people that think they don't have a religious spirit have one. And we're all ignorant of many aspects of God's nature and character and what he really wants to do in the earth. There's a lot about evangelical life that's hag-ridden. I know many old, crusty and dusty evangelicals would say back in Scotland, I believe this is the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. So he says, so you believe in the baptism of the Spirit? No, that died with the last apostle who was perfect because he came from Milwaukee. <laughs> so we can cut that portion out of your Bible. And so we can pick away at the ludicrous nature of that statement. Look how ignorant we've been over the years until God brought us into present truth. I used to believe God gave people sickness to teach them something, which is an incredible blasphemous thought. What kind of father would give their child a disease to teach them something? I'm a father. I would not dream of giving my daughter an illness to teach her some things in life. God gives us the Holy Spirit as a teacher, not an illness. I remember being shocked in the early 1990s and discovering that the wounds of Jesus have entirely healed the body of Christ from all forms of illness eternally. It was a real challenging time in my thought processes. And religious spirits come on you and I as naturally as breathing comes on you and I because religious spirits are always attracted to our soul life. Whether we have great biblical knowledge or whether we are more dominated by our prejudices than we are aware of. The confrontation of God on the Damascus Road delivered Saul of Tarsus from a religious spirit and his profound ignorance. It's a good thing for you and I to be confronted by God at pivotal moments in our journey. God wasn't bringing correction to Saul of Tarsus, although what happened included correction, but in total it was more about a massive internal shift and a new foundation in Saul of Tarsus' life that would not only give him a revelation of Christ Jesus, but would give him a unique capacity to hear the voice of God. In shorthand, divine confrontation in our lives equals an increased capacity to hear the voice of God, an upgrade in our interior life to hear the voice of God. I'm going to wrap up this message in a few minutes. The third point is Saul of Tarsus 
on the Damascus Road entered into a clear identification with the process of death and resurrection. In Acts 9, verse 9, we read of Saul of Tarsus being blind for three days and not eating or drinking anything. This was a symbolic experience in the life of Paul, reduced to absolutely nothing for three days, living in a trauma that we can't imagine, not just because he couldn't see, not just because he was so shaken by encountering the Lord in such a dramatic way in the Damascus Road, but at the core of his being, Saul of Tarsus suddenly was entering into a revelatory thrust of the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. His sight was restored. His appetite was restored. But in that three-day period, Saul of Tarsus died and the apostle Paul was born. Little wonder. Paul wrote in Philippians 3, verse 10 and 11, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. You didn't hear the apostle John preach that. He never heard Peter share that with someone he was leading to Jesus. He got that revelation in those three days when he was blind, when he couldn't eat, and he was so traumatized by the confrontation of God that led him ultimately to revelation and full healing. Sometimes we reduce our Christian faith to something that must bring a feel-good factor to our lives. It's more warm and fuzzy in its development. For you and I, in a world where we do have needs, a world where we're dealing with issues, a world where we're still processing elements of our own broken-heartedness, we can be like Paul and acknowledge that a focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus has absolutely everything to do with our ability to hear from God. The death of the carnal man, the religious man, the encounter with God, and then the resurrection power of Christ Jesus, granting us increased prophetic capacity. Let's go and wrap this whole show up. This is my last message of a 16-day trip, 17-day trip into the USA. I've wanted this message to be the best message of the trip. I like to go out with a, an explosion, not a whimper. <laughs> this reformation is not a work of man, but a work of the Holy Spirit. We can relax. It's not about you and I and our self-effort 
to hear God more accurately. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. Be shaped by the fire of divine process. God works in and through even our darkness and pain. He may not inflict us with a lot of what we deal with in life, but even our most profound darkness and pain is putty in the hands of God. Our default position as a 21st century prophetic people is to be a hearing people, to default to hearing in our inner man. And the challenge of this message is to understand the inner workings of our spirit. It's like saying to an apprentice mechanic on his first day on the job in a workshop, I want you to listen to that engine I'm about to start and tell me what you hear. A first day apprentice in a car workshop will listen as it goes, this is me making these noises, you know. I'm not miming. Then you hear vroom, 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 vroom. And the apprentice will say later when the tradesman said, what did you hear? The apprentice will go, well, it kind of started with a coughing sound that went vroom, vroom, vroom for five minutes. The apprentice will not have a clue what was really taking place. Fast forward the story. And that first year apprentice, first day in the job, is a 25-year journeyman. His obsession is automotives. He puts on the engine and he listens. Hmm. The fourth cylinder is slightly misfiring. Hmm. I hear a hiss of gas. Very faint, but the head gasket's worn in one or more areas. There's too much velocity. There's too much volume in that engine. It needs an oil change. It needs an oil filter. Hmm. 10,000 more miles. And I would recommend a valve replacement on the cylinder head. You and I, when we begin to listen to our spirit, will be like the first year mechanic. Tell me what you hear in your spirit right now, Alan. The Beatles singing, she loves you. <laughs> no, that's your soul, meathead. <laughs> Try again. Okay. Well, what are you hearing, Alan? Don't know. Go and you no hit me. Now, when you and I have walked in the Holy Spirit for 25 years, we listen to our spirits. We know change is coming. We know it's going to be good. We know it's not going to be so good. We know an old revelatory truth is dying. We know that God is about to reveal himself in a new way. We know he's deliberately famishing a spirit so we can plunge into the word of God with a grace where we want to live there 24-7. Listening to the inner workings of our spirit is a science 
It's in that. It's best worked out relationally, one with another. This message is coming into land right now. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. If you're a Greek scholar and you're sitting here, hearing me going on about the Alpha and the Omega, you know what Jesus is really saying there is, I am the A to Z. If he were an American, he would say, I am the A to Z. In reality, he was using a language relevant to the day by saying, I am the first, I am the last. I am the A letter of the alphabet. I am the Z letter of the alphabet. Jesus is communicating as the alpha was saying to the early church, you are the alpha generation, the first generation of saints alive on the earth. I firmly believe that we constitute the last group of believers that will be alive on the earth, whether it comes to an end in our generation or future generations. We constitute the end time generation of believers that are the Omega generation. Be willing to pray that language. O oh Lord, teach me as one who is part of the Omega generation. Don't say, Lord, make it be like it was in the book of Acts. That's us going back to the Alpha generation. It's like craving and desiring to be 10 years old again. Sometimes we do that. I do, you don't. You're far more mature for that type of behavior. Who really wants to be 10 again and be 14 again, 17 again, having your first dose of infatuation, having the person break the relationship? You think you're going to die. So your friend says, hi, Alan, let's go out and get drunk. And you say, good idea. I've recovered. <laughs> Who wants to go through all that junk again? It's best left in our individual histories. How much more should the high points of the church past be left in the illustrious history of the church? You are an Omega generation called to be part of a 21st century reformation that includes the prophetic but will spawn into many other areas. This is a kind of weighty message. I hope I have used simple language. If you're from Mexico, not only are you part of an Omega generation, but you were always part of an Amigo generation. <laughs> ah, just when we were beginning to take you seriously, Alan. <laughs> Nudge your neighbor and say, see, I've been telling you for years, he's a closet idiot, he's out in the open. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> 